Good morning. We are continuing in Psalm 119. And we looked first, if you recall, at the choices, the attitudes that God calls and asks us to bring when we go to the Word of God. We looked at the commandments that flow from the Word of God. And we're also looking now, and have been looking for the last few weeks, at all the promises that God bestows on us, that if we're, if we're bringing those choices, and we're bringing those attitudes, and we're bringing that obedience and that attention to the Word of God, what He promises flows from that. And we're going to look at one very distinct one. Um, it amazes me, and I mean that, it, it amazes me how frequently uh, the worship songs chosen uh, prepare, prepare you for the sermon or make it unnecessary for me to do the sermon. Maybe that's the point. But, but one way or another that I hope we've all been paying attention to what we've been singing in our worship and just the the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit. So we don't we don't correspond, we don't coordinate the music with the sermon. Uh, the Holy Spirit's the only one doing all that coordinating. And so what we're looking at here in Psalm 119 is the theme of salvation. And there's, there's about three different aspects of salvation that are addressed in this psalm. Uh, so we'll try to gather at least a little bit uh, from each of those areas. And again, that, that we, in fact, I encourage you, be praying right now. So I'm pretty much preaching to the choir, uh, quite literally. You guys are the saved. Uh, but there's always somebody in a room who has not yet made that choice. There's always somebody in the room who has not yet made that choice. So if you're someone who has already put your faith in Jesus Christ, then one of the things I would challenge, encourage, invite you to be doing and for me to be doing is that we would have this prayerful sense of, Father, I want to learn from this in a way that enriches, that deepens, that strengthens my faith in the salvation you've accomplished. I want, to, I want to receive the things that you're saying about salvation in a way that spreads them further and further and further out into the details of my life. And I also want to be praying for that one person who might be in the room who's not yet said yes to this invitation. So if you're a believer, I would encourage you to be doing both of those things. Actively praying right now that the Holy Spirit would be teaching and encouraging and strengthening and actively interceding that someone else will hear and desire and choose the real thing. Now, turn to, in Psalm 119, I hope you have your Bibles out. And let's start with verse 41. And he says, may your loving kindness also come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. 
So I will have an answer for him who reproaches me. May your loving kindness also come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. So I will have an answer for him who reproaches me. And first, there's a couple of observations just in the wording here. And in the Hebrew, what he's saying is, you know, bring me your salvation. And your salvation is, it equals, your salvation equals your loving kindness. So that recognition that, that whatever God wants to do to rescue us, whatever God wants to do to save us from the natural cost and the natural outcome of our sinfulness, our rebellion, our falling short, whatever he wants to do, it is literally essentially tied to his loving kindness. And, and I hope that, again, that, that as we were singing, we were paying attention. And there were, there were about three songs in a row that to me were pretty amazing. And, uh, and I wrote them down because I'm really horrible about remembering words. But uh, one is, he is for us. He is for us. He is for us. He loves us so. And again, most of you, this verse comes up real frequently just because it comes up real frequently. It's so focused. John 3, 16. For God so loved, so loved. So while he's offering us the promise of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ, he's clarifying the source of that offer is that he loves you so, so much. And, and as I work with folks in my own life, as I work with other folks in their lives, um, the struggles we face, the doubts we face, the insecurities we face, the fears, the worries, the insecurities we face, all the uncertainties of life that we're dealing with, and if this one truth, this one true essential reality went deeper into us, it would change so much of that to comprehend he loves me so much. That this is not a God who's just worried about the masses and the numbers. You know, and there's a, there's a, a thing I've heard numerous times through the years, and it's, well, if you were the only person on earth that needed salvation, Jesus would have died for you. And I remember going through, a, actually, probably a pretty long period of life where I thought, yeah, right. Sure you That can't be true. And I'm talking about after I was a believer. It's like, well, I'm lucky everybody else is a sinner. I don't know if that sounds very good. I'm lucky everyone else is a sinner. So then God was out of love for humanity. He was obligated to do salvation. And I sort of got in on the tail end of that offer. And God goes, how did he get it? Oh, that's right. I said whoever. Okay, he can come. <laughs> but, but what he's saying over and over and over again is, it's you personally I love. And Jesus made that real clear. In fact, we sang that. We said that too. He leaves the 99 to find the one. I was the one. You were the one. Yeah. He went after you. Nobody is saved because they were smart enough to choose salvation. God goes, wow, that's impressive. This guy just desires holiness out of his own natural being. <laughs> this woman is just naturally good. I should just let her in. 
No, none righteous, no, not one. So that recognition that even my desire for salvation, your desire for salvation, God says even that was a gift. And you still were brought to that moment and you had to choose. But God in love and power and sovereign delight and treasuring of you, he brought you to that moment to choose. And I, I know this has come up already several times in this series, but that the recognition that somehow we almost sometimes think of God that he's chintzy, he's sort of stingy. And we might never say that as a Sunday school lesson, but that somewhere in, in the back of our mind is, well, he loved me enough to die for me, but now that I'm his, he's pretty stingy. And where God says in Romans 8, you know, if I have given you my son, how will I also not with him give you everything that is true treasure? You know, and, and we are at the beginning. We're at the, we're at the tiny intro. You know, a lot of times, and I, I like reading, and if you're reading a book, a lot of times there's a preface. And then sometimes you go into the book and there's even a, what do they call that, a prologue? And so you get up all these beginnings before you even get to the story. You and I are in the preface before the prologue. Life on planet Earth is the beginning. And yet Satan and our doubts and our flesh frequently, frequently try to wrap up the meaning of the whole thing by my circumstances in the preface. This is just the beginning. I have all of eternity. Is there anybody in the room older than 90 years old? I don't think so. Okay. Anybody? No, I don't think so. Anybody in the room older than 70? Got to have a couple. Okay, a couple of heads nodding. Okay. If you can imagine eternity, those of you who are already over seven, you're like on the first molecule of the letter E in eternity. <laughs> And some of us are on the outer skin of that molecule. I'm only 66, so I'm practically a kid. But that recognition that we do not comprehend eternity, and he's saying, I promise you, I have loved you so much that I have just started something with you, and I want you to be in my word reading it and gathering the treasure of what I'm working on so that when you're wounded and you're discouraged and you're hurt and you're mistreated and you fail and you sin and you stumble and you're afraid of me because you forgot how much I love you. You're afraid of me because you forgot how completely I forgave you through my son's death. I want you to remember this. I love you so and that we would go to that, we would gather it up. Go to Romans 5 for just a moment. And again, a, a truth and a passage that most of you are probably very familiar with. Actually, uh, I, I'm starting earlier. Let's start at verse 6. Romans 5, starting at verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. 
For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. And again, most of you know this truth. Some of you may even memorize that passage. But that recognition that God's saying, don't you dare measure yourself to find out if I love you, because I loved you before you had anything good to be measured. I loved you when you were literally my enemy. Now we're still sinning. Hopefully every single one of us is in the, in the journey of growing in faith and growing as we appropriate and apply the truth that Jesus Christ was within us. That we actually have the life of Christ to mature in. It's not just us, you and I trying real hard that God says, I know you can't do that. So Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So you're not going to have to do it apart from me. My Holy Spirit has brought you the very life of Jesus Christ. And, and I hope as I'm saying those words, that each one of us is pondering and comprehending with God. Father, help me to remember that in moment by moment choosing that I'm, that I'm not working for an, a distant audience. And man, I sure hope I don't screw up. God is not a distant audience. That now this God has come to dwell in me to be my help and my power for growing in this love relationship, to, to grow in the fruits and the outgrowth of this salvation. So he loves me so, he loved me while I was an enemy, and now having loved me as, a, as an enemy, how much more he wants to give me? How much more he, he did it through the death and now he's saying, but I want to do even more through his life dwelling in you. Don't stop with salvation. That's just the beginning. Now, I like what the next verse says. May your loving kindness, starting at verse 41 again, may your loving kindness also come to me, Lord. Your salvation according to your word. And again, he's not saying that the word will save me. But the word opens up my understanding of, of how this is accomplished. My, the word invites me to something. But then look at verse 42. So I will have an answer for him who reproaches me. So I will have an answer for him who reproaches me. So this salvation and this word Give me a solid, powerful answer to the accuser. So go to Romans, I'm Romans, everything's not Romans. Go, <laughs> go to Revelation. To be fair, it's an R word, yes. Let's go to Revelation chapter 12. Let's start at verse, well, I can barely read this print. Let's start at verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, 
Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before God day and night. How did they overcome him? And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. So this recognition, and it's a simple equation, even though there's layers and layers of doctrine behind it. But what he's saying is, when the accuser comes against you, who accuses you day and night. Anybody ever here felt like the enemy was accusing you day and night? And if it wasn't the enemy, it was that other person working on behalf of the enemy, or maybe even a friend, maybe even a family member, that someone heaped accuse, accusation and condemnation on you, sometimes a fellow believer. And the enemy's right there pumping that condemnation machine. And God's just saying, you know what? That's the accuser. He accuses you day and night. But I promise you, if you have received my salvation, if you comprehend what the word has delivered to you, you now have an answer for the accuser. And what was the answer for these believers in Revelation that are being destroyed, physically wiped out by the enemy? The blood of the lamb. How awesome is that? My My answer to the enemy, sorry, is the blood of the Lamb. Don't forget while I'm preaching, I'm also hearing the sermon. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And there, again, there's layers of doctrine in that. So if I would go back, I've even read science fiction stories about this. You know, somebody traveled in time and they went back to the cross and they got some of his blood. And now that blood does weird things or it heals people's diseases. Or, that's not the point. The blood of Jesus is about his sacrificial death. So that when I'm putting my faith in the blood of the lamb, I'm recognizing he died on the cross but more importantly, not the physical death, he died under the crushing wrath of the Father for my sin. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of Reg Lord. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of, insert your name here. And then we would recognize that's real. You know, and I don't know all of your histories. There's some of you, I, I know a little bit about your history. Some of you have been really bad. <laughs> and the enemy's right there to say, hey, remember when? And maybe that means you're just sort of a, a second-class citizen in the kingdom. Maybe that guy a few rows ahead of you, maybe he's lived a good and godly life. But maybe you're sort of yeah, you're saved, but you're sort of half disqualified. Still going to heaven, but you're probably not supposed to have fun when you get there. <laughs> you're supposed to sit in the corner going, I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be here. And God's going, yeah, stay in the corner. <laughs> what a lie. 
That God's saying, this blood is your answer to the accuser. And, and if any of you struggle with condemnation, and you know this, you know that you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, please pick this up with readiness and determination. Father, that's going to be my answer to the accuser. Time after time after time, and there's no deadline on this. God doesn't go, oh, you've used up your, you know, what was that? Seven times seven. You've used up your 490 forgiveness moments. Now you're disqualified. That God is saying, you know what? Every time for your entire life, when the accuser comes against you, give him this answer. I have trusted in the blood of the lamb, the sacrificial death of Jesus. That means I'm innocent. That's what the word justified means. You guys know that. That when he says in, in Romans 8 that we are justified, what he's saying is, as if I had never sinned. And intellectually, that is hard to comprehend. But that's what he's saying. As if I had never sinned. I'm back in proper alignment with God. And God's saying, there is no record of your sin here. And Colossians 2 reiterates the same thing. The record of your sin has been removed at the cross. Now the enemy has no legal accusations against you. And that's why in Colossians 2, the enemy is disarmed. He's not disarmed because he used to have some kind of weapon. And Jesus took away his weapon. The enemy is disarmed because Jesus took away the grounds of accusation. Well, we'll go there another time. <laughs> but that recognition that what the enemy could say against you, the enemy could, could quote your history of sin, and we could actually agree with Satan. Actually, that's not where we need to have a conversation. We can turn to the Father and say, Father, everything the enemy accused me of actually happened. I said those things, I did those things, but I want to thank you that none of those things are on my yes. record. Yes. They were transferred to Jesus' record, and he was crushed, Isaiah 53, over and over again. we got to quote it. Isaiah 53 says that Jesus was crushed under the Father's wrath so that my sin could be forgiven. And so this is our answer to the accuser. This is our delight in the salvation of God, or one of our many delights in the salvation of God is, now I have an answer for the accuser, for the condemner. And even if someone else, because in, in David's instance, or whoever the, the author was, we don't know who, who may have penned this song. There's probably a, a variety of people working together, but we don't know. It might have been David. But whoever penned this song said, there are people coming against me to accuse me, and now I have an answer. And my answer isn't how good I am. My answer isn't how faithful I am. My answer is the salvation that God has accomplished for me. That sets me free from measuring me and gives me the freedom to measure him. What a good exchange. To exchange measuring me to measuring him as my answer to condemnation.
Now go to verse 81 in Psalm 119. And the psalmist says this, my soul languishes for your salvation. I wait for your word. My eyes fail with longing for your word while I say, when will you comfort me? And this whole eight verse section gives, gives the indication that he's now, he's applying the, the concept of salvation to very specifically the idea of rescue from oppression. The psalmist has people against him. You at different points in your life may definitely have people against you. But we always get to recognize that my true opposition isn't people. We now have the wisdom of the New Testament where in Ephesians 6, we're to, <clears throat> yep, not, not quite at puberty yet, but anyway, no. uh, that that recognition that he says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers, powers of darkness and high and powerful places arrayed against us. And our antidote to that is that we are hidden in Jesus and he's the victor. So this recognition, you will face oppression. You will face occasionally oppression from people. But in the same way that every day, day and night, the enemy is there to accuse you, every day, day and night, the enemy is looking for some way to oppress you, to discourage you, to sidetrack you, to wear you out and wear you down, to thin out your hope. As Mark said, the, the, one of the most crucial things people need to just get up and keep going is hope. And if the enemy can rob us of hope, we quit. We quit. And so we need to remember, I, have, I can call on God for rescue from oppression. But again, the psalmist is saying, while I'm praying for that, here's my role. I wait for your words. My eyes fail with longing for your word. So when I am facing oppression, one of the wisest, most powerful, most authoritative things you and I can do when we face physical oppression, interpersonal oppression, or spiritual oppression from the forces of the enemy is, Father, I'm going to go into your word, and I'm going to wait for nourishment. I want to wait for fresh hope. And if three minutes in the Word doesn't do it, well, let's go for 30 minutes. That the recognition is I go to the Word for hope and I don't quit because my hope is in that Word. So you and I get, get to have this wisdom when I need uplift, when I need hope, and we already talked about the other words of comfort, when I need revival, the Holy Spirit will powerfully use these words to remind me of truth. And frequently they will be truths I already needed, I already knew, but I needed to hear them again. You know, there's a, a song we sang when I was a kid. I haven't heard it in years. No, to Kathy. Um, <laughs> but <clears throat> it was telling me the old, old story. You know, and it's a story I know so well. But, but the, the point of the song basically is 
It's such a powerful and beautiful story. Tell it to me one more time. And I know I've shared this story, that when Carrie's grandmother was dying, we had witnessed her and she had told us to shut up. That's enough, got it? You can be quiet now. And we honored that, but we kept praying. And when she was dying, she called us from, at that point, Chicago, to come back out to California. And when we showed up in a room and she kicked everybody else out, and we were alone with her, she said, remember all those things you used to tell me about Jesus. Tell me one more time. And she received it. God loves rescue, and he doesn't even mind if it's at the last minute. The thief on the cross being a perfect example. So she received Jesus Christ and was in the word. And that was a beautiful evidence and outcome that she even said, well, I want to understand what I got myself into here. So she read the word, not to gain salvation, but to understand the parameters and the meat and the bones and, and the strength and, the, and the, the details of her salvation. Even though she was ready to see him very soon. And so that recognition, I don't go to the word for hope just to hear a new thing I've never heard before. It might be the thing I've heard over and over again, but I need to hear it one more time. But just as we've been talking about through all of Psalm 119, part of what makes that, that word powerful is that I went to the word on purpose. I chose I want to go to the word and receive what God has to offer. You have that power and that authority to, to talk to, to the Father and say, Father, I'm coming to the word on purpose. I'm here to gather hope or challenge or correction or teaching or revival or comfort. I'm here to gather a deeper understanding of the salvation that already belongs to me. And if you're not a believer, then you get to be real direct and honest with, uh, with God. Father, I'm here to comprehend your offer of salvation. And I don't want to leave till I've understood it enough to say yes. That would be an awesome moment between you and God. Now, I also want to point out here in verse 81, my soul languishes for your salvation. My soul. And, and this word several times through scripture is, is different than the word spirit. So if you put your faith in Christ, and we're not going to do an in-depth study on this right now, if you put your faith in Christ, you have received directly from God a new and living spirit. That spirit is eternal. That spirit is in Christ at the Father's right hand in perfect union with God 24-7. You didn't do that. God did that. You were dead, spiritually dead, before you put your faith in Christ. Now you have a new and living spirit that is literally designed for eternity. One day you will get a new body that, that fits that eternal spirit. 
But that eternal spirit is already yours if you put your faith in Christ. Soul, this is about mind. This is about emotions. This is about passions. This is about will, choice. This is about personality. This is about patterns of behavior that I've grown. And numerous times in scripture, God talks about the fact that this you received instantly, but now you and I are on a journey to rescue this, to lift this out of the miry clay, to lift this out of the muck, to mature and elevate our inner being, our personality, our thought life, our will, our passions, to mature those into the likeness of Christ. That's a journey. That's a process of growth. This is just received. This has to be rescued. And that's what the psalmist says several times. We won't try to look at all the patterns, but he says several times, my soul needs rescuing. So even though in this passage, 81 through 88, he's describing a situation in which he is being oppressed by people and events. What he's recognizing is my real rescue isn't that you stop that person. My real rescue is that you transform my inner being. That's my real rescue from oppression. And in the same way, when the enemy comes against you and he's oppressing and he's accusing, and he's trying to wear you down and rob you of hope. Even though we, we get to pray for the enemy to be put at bay, we get to pray for them. But again, scripture's already told us he works day and night. So no believer can, can biblically pray, Father, just take Satan and all his demons and temptation and all the battle with evil, take that away from me so that for the rest of my life, I can follow you with no opposition. And God will go, have, have you read the book? <laughs> the opposition will be as long as you're on this planet. But what I get to pray, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is transform my inner being so I'm ready to defeat that enemy. Transform that, that inner being and my mind and my will and my passion so that I'm standing in a place where his lies don't even make sense anymore. And we even sang that, you know, there's no wall he won't kick down, no lie he won't tear down. He's here to rescue us. Not just for heaven and eternity, he's here to rescue us from our own history. In love, he's here to rescue us from our own history. And I, and I feel like this comes up at least once or twice almost every sermon, that means I get to go to the Word of God and say, Father, let's gather the truths that rescue me. Where am I currently vulnerable to the enemy? Let's gather truth that rescues me. And again, that it's my willful gathering of that truth. I'm already halfway to defeating the enemy just because I'm the one who said, let's go get that ammunition. 
So this recognition that salvation is about eternity, it's about answering the accuser, it's about rescue from every form of oppression, and it's about rescue from my own inner being that was tarnished by sin, it's rescue from my own history to think and operate as a true son and daughter of God more and more and more day by day. We won't get finished here on the planet, but we get to grow with hopefulness. We are rescued for growth. We are equipped for growth. We're also equipped to encourage one another. I've already said that practically every sermon together. Don't neglect the strength of being able to share truth with someone else. It will strengthen you that you gathered it for them. It will strengthen them that you were to the point and you offered it. Let's pray together. Father, you are the giver of life. And Jesus, you wept. With sorrow and anger, you wept before the evidence of death at your friends too. Because this was not okay with you. And Father, Son, and Spirit, we want to thank you very directly and purposefully. Thank you that you were not willing to leave us in our death. Thank you that you were not willing to leave us in our slavery and our destruction. Thank you that you were not willing to leave us in the natural outcome of our sin and rebellion, even though we so richly deserved condemnation and hell, that you decided you loved us so much, individually by name, that you would come call us and rescue us. That if we would call on you, whosoever will could be rescued. Father, thank you for this incredible offer. And Father, I pray that if there's anybody in the room, anybody of any age in the room, whether it's somebody who's really young and, and just figuring things out, whether it's somebody who's been around for decades and even knows all this stuff but has never said yes to you personally, then Father, we pray that your spirit would offer them hope, offer them an open door that they know all they have to do is say yes. All they have to do is say yes, because they're choosing to believe that Jesus, your son, died on the cross for their sin. Father, that's incredible. That almost seems too good to be true. And it's still followed by a lifelong challenging journey. But coming into the family, is freely offered to everyone. Father, thank you for this. Jesus, thank you for this. Holy Spirit, help you. Thank you for helping us understand these things. Help us to go into the week determined to grow in the beauty of this salvation. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.